Hello, you beautiful nerds. The Eternals have made their way to Disney Plus, so I guess it's time for a review. It's no secret that this is the lowest rated Marvel movie ever, but I personally don't think it's as bad as it's being made out to be. I mean, I don't think it's a great film, but I can think of a few Marvel flicks that aren't as enjoyable to watch. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about what we're talking about. So pull up a metaphysical chair and try not to think about the fact that we got two Starks fighting over a Cersei, and let's have a little chat about the- but first, a prelude. In the year of our Lord, 1971, writer and artist Jack King Kirby created a comic book series called The New Gods. Even though most of the work Kirby is known for was made for Marvel, this one was made during his brief time working for the Distinguished Competition. The New Gods are weird and cosmic and actually pretty fucking cool. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda have had some particularly great storylines. After going back to Marvel, Kirby was still in a space epic mode and was also becoming pretty obsessed with this theoretical and quasi-racist book called Chariot of the Gods, in which he draws heavy inspiration from to create the Marvel version of the new gods, The Eternals. As weird and not very good The Eternals comics are, the movie is weirder and not very good because they veer away from the source material quite a bit, and they don't explore any of these big ideas and themes in this movie enough to justify their inclusion in the first place. But what even happens in this philosophical exploration of the meaning of life as we know it? Well, mostly that. You see, these creatures called the Eternals were created by the Celestials about 7,000 years ago to fight off these unnatural evil creatures called the Deviants. Mm. I know some of these words. The Deviants were apparently fucking up everything on Earth, so the Eternals were sent by Erisham, the Celestial, to destroy the Deviants and defend humanity. But other than fighting off the Deviants, they're not really supposed to interfere with mortal affairs. After they seemingly destroy all the Deviants, they're supposed to sit back and wait for orders from the big boss upstairs. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless Deviants were involved. Turns out the Eternals were only sent to Earth to help humans prosper so their population would grow vast enough for the celestial inside to feed off their human's energy and bust out like a fucking Kool-Aid. This movie had the potential to be incredible and bold and a deviation from the Marvel norm, which it was different, but I think it could have benefited from being a little less action-y. Like, this movie needs to be a little more Star Trek and a little less Star Wars, if that makes any sense. And not J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. That's, that's pretty much just Star Wars. A lot of the fight scenes only felt like they were in the movie because it had been too long since we'd seen anybody fight, so we needed to add a little CG dust up here. But if you take out some of these fight scenes, you have a little bit more room to sit with all these ideas that they've presented here. I mean, this movie is wrestling with a lot of ideas. Metaphysics, utilitarianism, epistemology, but it only spends a few minutes on each of these ideas, and I feel like the movie suffers for it. In fact, this and Hawkeye should have just switched places. If you listen to the pod, you probably already heard me mention this, but Hawkeye had too little story to be a series and probably would have been better suited as a fun Christmas movie. While The Eternals would have worked better as a character-driven contemplative series, like Star Trek The Next Generation. As much as I love all these whiz-bang adventure flicks and talk about them all the time, I still love movies and shows where two people are sitting down in a room talking. Some of my favorite writers in the world wrote some of my favorite movies and TV shows in the world, and a lot of them have stories just like that. Even some of my favorite moments in Marvel or DC anything were when characters were just chit-chatting about philosophy or life or 
whatever. Just trying to work shit out. And in some movies, that blatant lack of communication between characters is exactly what hurts the story. It would have been intriguing to see them delve a little more into why these guys feel conflicted about their mission and how they manage to cope with life on Earth after being told to sit on your hands for centuries. I mean, some of them just straight up decide to chill in a spaceship underground for hundreds of years. One guy just stopped doing what they were supposed to do. And we do get to see why they quit, but we only get a glimpse of what they've been up to since. Druig was especially interesting because his powers allow him to control the minds of humans, which kind of seems like a useless power if from your creation you're not supposed to interfere with human affairs, but whatever. He's angry that he can't just stop them all from fighting and eliminate war and anger. And then later we see he's running his own little brainwashed cult thing out in the middle of nowhere. Seems like there's a bit of a story there. I mean, I don't think it would have been out of the question if at least Kingo said, Hey bud, you doing okay? You, you dealing with some stuff? You want to talk about how you came to this as a solution? I liked most of the characters in this movie, however little development they got. I even liked that little Power Ranger-ass outfit. Even their casual outfits, like fucking Green Ranger over here has always got a goddamn green sweater on. That's adorably stupid. I love it. Kamel Nanjiani is always hilarious, and he's really funny in this. Though his little Metroid finger gun power seems kind of lame. It looked kind of cool at first when he did that Kamehameha wave at the beginning, but it got progressively less cool looking as the movie he progressed until he just stopped being in the movie. He was like, I'm not gonna be in the final fight. My power isn't getting any cooler than this. I'll see y'all in the next one. Druig and Fastest were probably my favorite characters and my favorite actors in the movie. But again, I would have liked to see more of them. And I gotta say, the Hiroshima scene was pretty silly. I got what they were trying to convey. The advancement of technology led to WMDs, movies kind of dipping its toe into the Martin Heidegger theory of the dangers of technology, but... Did the dude have to be there for us to get the point? He couldn't have just been like watching on TV, reading the news. He had to be at ground zero with the I just made a nuclear bomb bow tie on. Come on, man. Kit Harrington was also great and also not in the movie that much. After seeing him play a sad sack of shit for a decade, though, it was nice seeing him play someone with a personality beyond stoic. Though I will say when he finds out about his lineage and that he's the Black Knight and reluctantly reaches out for the ebony blade, I was kind of hoping he was going to say, I don't want it. Jimma Chan was fine. She was actually the one who was the stoic pensive hero in this flick. Her and fucking Omni-Man over here. I mean, I know she has more acting chops than what she showed off in this one. Hell, she had more personality in Captain Marvel and she was in that movie for a fraction of the time. You knew all along. Is that why we never hung out? No, I just never liked you. But she was like Christian Bale in Batman. You can only give a loud performance like the one I gave when you have a quiet anchor um, and a, a stoic character. I've played that one many times and it never gets any notice. There are three aspects of this story that I felt really hurt the movie and probably why it wasn't received super well. Number one, the conflict between Erisham and the Eternals arises because he tells Cersei information she really doesn't need to know. The big baby celestial duckling is gonna burst out of the earth egg in a week no matter what. So why in perfect hell would you tell Gemma Chan about this? How do you not know who killed Ajax? Why didn't you just make another Ajax? Cause apparently you can do that. But then again, you wouldn't have to do any of that if you just kept fucking big six-hole non-mouth shut. I mean, sure, she might go along with the plan, but her predecessor didn't, so why would you take that chance? Aren't you supposed to be smart? That brings me to the second problem. Ajax's the only one who knows the plan, right? Because she's the prime eternal. And she goes against the Celestial's orders for the first time in eons because... 
humans are awesome? I know us real-life Earth dum-dums haven't definitively discovered intelligent life out there, but this is the MCU, baby. We've seen thriving communities on several different worlds. You mean to tell me that Earth is the only planet with art and love and courage and all that shit? Get all the way the fuck out of here with that. And she cited Endgame as an example for Earth's resilience, but there weren't just Earthlings in that fight. There were Asgardians, a Kree, whatever Gamora and Nebula are, whatever the fuck Mantis is, all these these ravagers that definitely are not from Earth. This nigga is a fucking tree. This guy's technically a raccoon, but he's not from fucking Earth, that's for damn sure. Like, if you think about her motivations for defending Earth for more than a few minutes, it doesn't make too much sense. The last problem I had was with the Deviants. So apparently, Arashim created the Deviants to prey on the creatures that were preying on the humans in order to protect them and help them thrive as a race. But then, they evolved and started preying on humans. So then, Arashim creates the Eternals to stop the Deviants. But then, they go against programming. This whole scenario reminds me of an episode from this show called Studio 60, where they lost a snake under the set, so they send a ferret after it. Then they lost the ferret, so they send a coyote after it. Yodi's gonna smell the ferret, go down the grate, get the ferret. Yeah. Okay, now this is crucial. He's gonna come back, right? No! Then the coyote got stuck because it was afraid of the snake. So they gave up and realized that they have to stop sending animals in after other animals because that's never gonna work because it's a bad plan. Again, this guy is supposed to be smart. Later, when the Deviants evolve to the point where they can speak and understand that they've been pawns in Arisham's game, they get pissed off and decide to fight the, the Eternals? Some more? You mean to tell me that these guys became capable of complex thought and acted exactly the same after they did? Just have a damn conversation and you guys will realize that you are exactly the same. Like, exactly the same. Clearly. It makes no sense that the Deviants wouldn't discuss their own revelation about their existence with the only creatures on the planet that would know what they're going through. This made me so upset. Like, I was legit sad when they killed that Deviant dude. Did he have a name? I don't think. Maybe he probably had a name, but who gives a fuck? I was like, that's your cousin, and you killed him without so much as a we're not so different you and I monologue. We're not so different. You and I. All in all, this movie could have been much better if they just focused on the drama and less on the action. The fight scenes were shot well, which was pretty cool considering, unlike most directors, Marvel actually let Zhao shoot her own fight scenes, which they never really let their other directors do. In fact, she reportedly had a lot more control than Marvel directors typically get. But no matter how great it looked at times, I just didn't care because I didn't connect with the story. Maybe if the Deviants were more like they were in the comics, there's a little more gray area between the Deviants and the Eternal than the source material. Like, they're they're a lot more similar. They don't all look like fucking neomorphs with ramen noodles coming out their back. I like Chloe Zhao, and her style was peeking through this absolute mess of a movie, and I am still excited about what happens next with these characters. But hopefully the story will continue off-world. Anytime you have these unbelievably huge, powerful creatures on this small, fragile planet of Earth, it just kind of reminds me of that line from Aladdin. Phenomenal cosmic powers! That's why the Guardians of the Galaxy movies work so well. And also why it makes so much more sense for Captain Marvel to not be on Earth most of the time. Taking these cosmic characters off planet gives the story the literal space to stretch those weird muscles out. But this movie had one foot in a Marvel movie and one foot in an A24 movie, and it ended up feeling like a DC movie. Speaking of the weird and cosmic, let's talk about that mid credit sequence. Harry Styles is Eros. 
sure. I'm not as hip to, like, real pop culture as most people, so I honestly didn't even know that that was him. But apparently he's not a bad actor. I bought Dunkirk a year ago and I still haven't watched it, so I don't know. And he wasn't in this enough for me to feel any way about him. I do have a question about Patton Oswalt as Pip, though. Why make him a CGI character? Because Patton, he's, I mean, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade, but Patton Oswalt kind of already looks like Pip. He's a small person. You're a small person, Patton. You're a tiny thing. You can't just put some makeup on him. Was he busy? Not shitting on the CGI at all. I just always think that if you can do it practically, you should do it that way. I really enjoy heady philosophical dramas like Melancholia, and I dare say if this film felt more like that, I would have enjoyed it way more. But alas, this is still a Marvel movie, so there are certain things people are going to expect. We need action sequences. But maybe, just maybe, one day Marvel will have the balls to dive headfirst into a full-on, tear-jerking, mind-writhing drama. King Hyperion, anyone? My ranking, I unfortunately didn't like it. All right, that's it for this review, guys. But before I go, I wanted to say one thing. We made it to 500 subscribers! I'm so happy and I appreciate every single one of you guys out there supporting the channel. And as a big old thank you, I'm gonna be doing something that I don't even really wanna do. I mentioned on the podcast that if we get to 500 subscribers before the Batman comes out on March 4th, and I get one comment asking me to review it, I will finally watch and do a deep analysis on the Joker. Some of you guys know how much I hate the idea of the Joker movie, but you don't know why. Cause I have refused to talk about that movie for more than three seconds on this channel but I've also never seen it and that's another reason I don't like to talk about it because people like to be like you can't talk shit about it if you've never seen it but I will not only watch this film and tell you exactly why I didn't want to watch it I will then give you my honest opinion after I see it because who the fuck knows I might actually like this thing I've been surprised before but I will only do this if we get a comment asking for me to review it before the Batman comes out I don't want to do this if y'all don't actually give a shit what I think about the Joker so let's see what happens Batman is my guy, so I'm definitely gonna be reviewing that when it comes out. And keep an eye out, because I'll be making an Invincible-related top 10 list very soon. And don't forget to check out the podcast, where we cover more week-to-week TV series like Peacemaker and Moon Knight. But until next time, stay safe, my little deviants, and may the Force be with you.